the free for all roundtable round two Jerry Agar in for John Moore this morning and joining me on round two lawyer, professor and activist, Pamela Pometeer, Pavan Bratch, serial entrepreneur in marketing, tech and real estate development and a part-time farmer and Sabrina Nanji at the Queens Park Observer. Sabrina, let me start with you just to take off of something that uh, Bob Reed said, going to talk about as he fills in for me this afternoon. Is there a feeling around Queens Park that the Auditor General steps outside her lane? Uh, absolutely. I mean, I guess it depends on where you're sitting. Um, I mean, from my perspective as a reporter, I am all for transparency and, and someone like the auditor general has access that you or I as journalists or even, you know, citizens can't really get. Um, and, and so I, I'm all for that, but you know, some of my colleagues, uh, are in rare agreement, I should say, you know, we've got columns in the star and the sun um, who aren't typically aligned when it comes to, you know, politics uh, are both agreeing that, you know, Bonnie Lissick has stepped outside her jurisdiction and has kind of waded, um, you know, into more policy ideas rather than, you know, sticking to her mandate of value for money. Um, for, from my view, though, I mean, you know, the more accountability and the more people that can shed light on different aspects, the better. Well, Pamela, what I said earlier, this morning was if the government doesn't like the auditor general, I might like the auditor general. Well, exactly. These are the same kinds of so-called concerns when you know the federal auditor general talks about what the federal government is doing right or wrong in terms of pipelines and First Nations and everything else. And th their role is absolutely essential. How else would we get this information? We know governments of all kind, federal and provincial, are rarely forthcoming about what's really happening behind the scenes. And we need them. We, we literally need to know this because then the public has an opportunity to pressure government to do better where it's falling down. All right. Now, one of the things that uh, is catching a lot of attention from the Auditor General is how money was spent during the pandemic. And of course, it should catch attention. And we're glad that she looked at it. Pavan, was it uh, was it a given, as with the CERB program, that hindsight, it was never going to be perfect? Never going to be perfect. Absolutely not. And so, you know, you know, I love the role of an auditor general, but I, I really think she's lost her way here. It's a critical role. But, you know, she's complaining about unused and expired vaccines. That's down to the consumer deciding that they didn't want to get the booster. And, and, and it was a big issue. And it was especially an issue because it was critical for Omicron. She could have said that the Ford government didn't spend enough money promoting or explaining to consumers why it was critical to get the booster. That would, I think, be a legitimate complaint, but I don't think that uh, I don't think that she's uh, serving any good here in this uh, in this complaint. Well, in the report, Sabrina, there was two hundred and seventy-seven thousand canceled uh, appointments. That's just the people who canceled appointments. I know as well as anybody because they furiously contacted me on a daily basis. They were people who were actively anti-vaccine, but the government would have to be federally and provincially. Every government had to be in a position to be able to get a vaccine to anybody who asked for it, which just meant we were going to have too much. 
Yeah. And I think, you know, at least from the government's perspective, uh, it's better to have too much than too little of the vaccines. And, you know, even Bonnie Lissick had kind of, you know, chalked all of this up to an overestimation of demand, especially for boosters. Um, But what I found interesting was, you know, uh, the determination of hotspots, for instance, um, when, you know, back when those uh, high risk areas were getting the vaccines uh, uh, in priority over other spots, you know, there were uh, about nine that were missed that that should have been deemed high risk. You know, the Auditor General said that she did not suspect any political interference there. And and also, you know, the province spent over 100 million on a COVID database when we had, um, you know, a database for school kids that that was meant to be expanded that we had already spent $170 million on. So I think, you know, the pandemic was unprecedented. Was it a given that there was going to be some waste and things weren't going to be managed, you know, um, as efficiently as as a premier like Doug Ford would have liked? Of course not. Um, And I think at least, you know, when it comes to the, the COVID role out and and some of the measures there, the public is willing to be a bit more forgiving um, compared to some of the other, you know, goodies that we saw in the Auditor General's report. Was it also a given, Pamela, do you think, that the province, even though they did it on the last day, was going to come in with money to shore up uh, Toronto's budget hole? Um, yeah, it's hard to say, obviously, uh, but I think they probably would have in the end. Toronto is, uh, sent, you know, one of the central areas for Ontario in terms of, you know, economics and connections, even, you know, the international community media is centered around Toronto. It seems to be the center of Ontario's universe. Sorry, Ottawa. So I, I don't uh-huh. know that they would have not stepped up. Well, uh, the mayor says, Pavan, that actually it's the most important economy in the country, which as a prairie boy brings me back to that saying that the only thing that actually keeps Canada together is the fact that everybody hates Toronto. (laughs) It seems to be universal. No, you know, it it is obviously the driver of the economy for Canada and uh, it's critical. I think, I think, uh, you know, and it takes a bit of the wind out of the sail when it comes to, you know, all these arguments about developer fees when here they're, they're pointing up almost the same amount of money that, uh, that would be lost there. The thing that confuses me, Jerry, is that we've got three, you know, three levels of government. We, we've got this ongoing constant, we'll give you money. Ontario got $7 billion of federal government money for pandemic relief. Uh, and, uh, and and then they, you know, the feds are giving money here and the province is giving money here and the municipalities are obviously at the bottom of the totem pole. It's just this endless shifting of dollars around uh, to pay for who knows what. And I think whether it's healthcare or infrastructure or whatever else, I think we just have to find a better way to do this so that we're not constantly begging for bailouts at every level. Well, here's a fight that's brewing, I think, across the country. And uh, it, it gets started with the brand new premier in Alberta, Danielle Smith, talking about more sovereignty. Here she is. We've been ignored for 10 years. The, uh, the former uh, premier, Rachel Notley, tried the climate leadership plan to get a better relationship with Ottawa. It failed. Uh, pr- uh, former premier, uh, Jason Kenney, tried to have a collaborative relationship with Stephen Gibault in Quebec to get LNG export. It failed. We put forward an equalization referendum to try to start a conversation to change the relationship with Ottawa, it failed. So now we're going to try something new. I think we've got their attention. All right. She says, and she said, let me be clear, this isn't about separation. It's about holding the feds to account. Um, She... The, the premier or the prime minister rather said that he doesn't want to get into a fight, but uh, he sounded like he didn't really want this at all. Uh, Pamela, I'm interested in what you think of it, but uh, I would have to say any province like Saskatchewan who's made these noises or Alberta could say, hey, seems to be good for Quebec. Why not us? 
Yeah. Well, I don't know that she really understands the law in this regard. And that's the problem with political rhetoric. It it really mixes people up. You can't talk about a sovereignty act, but say, oh, it's not about that. It's really just about holding the federal government to account. Well, how how does that hold the federal government to account if it's not about sovereignty or separation or politically, legally, economically or otherwise? And that, of course, ignores the entire fact that all of that is native land and native sovereignty and all of their rights protected in that. All of Alberta. All all of Canada. All of Canada is. Yeah, but that's not what they, whether you like it or not, that's not what they're arguing about. And and I look, I'm not a lawyer, and you are, although other lawyers have said that, that Alberta can do this, but but I brought up Quebec. Why, If Quebec can be special and separate, why can't the rest of the country? Well, I mean, they have different things that make them culturally or politically separate. They have, you know, civil law. They protect the French language. They have a different history. That's not the same for the rest of this country. And keep in mind, Quebec, too, one of the big issues around their attempts to separate was the fact of sovereign First Nations all over those territories and First Nation rights. So it's far more significant than people think. Pavan? Well, I'm with you uh, on the Quebec thing. I mean, I think this this Alberta action is going to force a discussion on the elephant in the room. And, and obviously it's Quebec. You know, all three parties, not one party, but all three parties over the decades have allowed Quebec to basically unwind federal control in that province. So uh, whether it's language or culture or whatever else, and uh, it's and, and they do so in the hope, desperate hope that they're going to get elected, they're going to pick up more seats by by giving in on just this one more issue. Sure. Let's make English illegal. But I think that and, and in the end, the block continues to, to continue to win seats. So it's it hasn't paid out. We have to deal with this issue. You know, it's a serious issue about our country, about what we stand for. And uh, it's unfortunate to see fighting going on. But we, you know, we can't have a checkerboard of rules across the country. And we can't really defend this in the face of what's happening in Quebec. Well, Sabrina, you're the one who patrols the halls at Queen's Park. And thanks for doing that. So we don't have to. Um, And do you hear any noises in Ontario about this sort of thing? Or are they just kind of, yeah, that's Alberta, whatever? Well, certainly, you know, people at Queen's Park are paying attention and I'm sure they would like, you know, these powers. But legally speaking, I'm not sure how far Danielle Smith is going to get. And that is kind of the sentiment around Queen's Park, too. I mean, obviously, there are already mechanisms for provinces to challenge uh, the constitutionality of of the federal government's, you know, laws. Uh, Alberta already tried to to challenge the, the carbon price and, you know, they weren't successful in that. But there are these mechanisms. And I think, you know, it's more speaking, you know, politically to the base, Danielle Smith's base over there, because she's not too far off from, you know, an election. And, uh, you know, this was this was something that she had pledged, you know, during the leadership race for the UCP. And so um, in terms of, you know, whether, you know, anyone is really taking this seriously, I think that, uh, you know, that that's not quite the case, but it, it certainly is fun to watch. Well, you don't take it seriously until it becomes serious, I guess. And uh, I I think, can we all agree, I'll come back to you, Pamela, can we all agree, whether we agree with where Daniel Smith is going or not, she is the person most likely to push this. Uh, Yeah, of course she is, because she's been, you know, very, very problematic from the start. I mean, on a whole bunch of things. The question that Albertans really have to ask is, aside from her political rhetoric, which 
you know, there are many lawyers that don't think that carries any weight whatsoever. She can't accomplish what she wants or that it would be good for Alberta. Um, She's not trustable. She has been out there saying she's Indigenous. They've proven with her records that she's not Indigenous. I mean, if if you've already got a so-called leader that's not trustable, that's out and out lying for political objectives... I, of course, I'm not surprised all at right. all that she's pushing this. We're out of time, but I was just going to say, gosh, I wish she was the only one. Um, but thanks to all of you. Catch the Roundtable, round one at 745, round two at 845. Weekday mornings on more in the morning. News Talk 1010 Toronto.